Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Afternoon, Joanna. Afternoon, Sean. Right, here's your first question. I think my niece is struggling to form connections to people as a result of her mother's addiction. She's being raised mostly by her dad as a result of her mother's illness and we as a family have been supporting them as best we can. However, I've noticed my niece is pushing people away at the moment. She's always been shy and insecure, but lately she doesn't want to spend time with anyone and brushes away people's efforts to be friendly towards her. She doesn't have many friends and she can be aggressive and hostile towards anyone her age who makes an effort in the playground. I've tried to convince her that people are just being nice and I can see she wants to be their friend but I'm fairly sure a defence mechanism kicks in and she's rejecting them before they can reject her. She's 10. What can I do to help her ease her social insecurity and awkwardness? The poor thing. Oh, that's such a lot, isn't it? And it's a lot for this little girl, but it's a lot for all of the other adults in her life as well. And I noticed, Sean, that, you know, the letter says she is being raised mostly by her dad with the support of his family, which is fantastic. But when you say mostly by her dad, I suppose my question is, is her mum actively still in her life in a caregiving role? Um, how is mum spoken about, you know, in dad's home and the other families? And, you know, what is this little girl's understanding of her mum's illness? Because so often, particularly when it comes to things like addiction and anything like that, you know, children are protected with the best will in the world from the adults in their lives who are like, this is too complex for little kids to understand. We'll just say mummy's not well or mummy has a, is having a hard time or quite vague language like that. And it can leave children, particularly around this age, struggling to make meaning of, well, why is it I don't live with mom or why does mom behave in a way that might be confusing or might come in waves up and down? Again, I don't want to make inferences about the addiction or mm. how active it is. But I also think, you know, and I've, I've worked with a number of children who've grown up and, and adults, to be fair, who were children growing up in uh, parent-child relationships with addiction. And it's very painful to feel that your parent chose addiction over you. And that's no comment on the complexity yeah, of addiction. Yeah, it it's can feel it's like a that, child's yeah. perspective on it. Exactly. So she may need help with the story of mom's struggle and mom's illness so that she can make meaning. Because in the absence of that truth, children knit their own truth. They, they create a narrative to make meaning and to understand things. And, you know, I wonder if this child has ever received therapy. And if not, could she? Or if she did, and it was a number of years ago, so bear in mind, she's 10 now and it's a new developmental stage, that middle childhood preteen stage. And she may benefit from a return to a space where she can emotionally exhale all of those complex feelings where she can be sad and confused and angry. And she can let all of that out without need to protect a parent and say, I'm fine, don't worry about me. Because she needs, you know, when, when this um, when this aunt or uncle is writing in, you know, you're, what can I do to ease her social insecurity and awkwardness? And I've tried to convince her, do you know what? You can't. You can't just drag somebody kicking and screaming from a negative sense of self to a positive one. You have to take time to build a bridge that allows her to cross over. And that that is based on trust 
that we have to establish trust in a relationship because that builds safety and security. And there can be no play, playfulness, playful connection with friends in the absence of emotional or relational safety. So you have to invest in starting small, no judgment, you know, if she struggles on the playground or if she rejects a child's advance that later you go, oh, I noticed this child came over and it didn't feel safe for you to play today. And you let them know that you didn't want to play. Maybe the next time we come, it might feel safe. But I'm not judging. I'm just naming what I saw in a way that is accepting and empathic because you have to be consistent and reliable because the one thing that in the face of the illness of addiction is that that parent cannot be reliable, consistent and predictable. The addiction doesn't allow it. And that's what children need most Mm. of all. So I think as family members, keep supporting her dad, keep supporting her, be calm, consistent, predictable, reliable, be very mindful of how mum is or isn't spoken about. Sometimes, you know, Sean, in an effort not to say anything bad about a parent, we say nothing at all. And that can be as bad because it gives me that cue that it's not okay to talk about my mom here. And I may need to know that I can talk about her with you as well. So I think create that normality. And I would strongly consider therapy in this situation. I just think that's a really painful experience for she's still a very young girl. And, you know, again, we don't know enough about how often what mostly with her dad means. Is it four days versus three days or five versus two or what it might be? But, you know, in ensuring that her relationship with her mom can be the best version of that relationship it possibly can be and that that will be supported by her dad and family as well. Craigie, we're wishing you the very best of luck there. Uh, my son has developed a terrible habit of licking his lips, but he licks so far he's actually licking around the skin around his lips. He ends up with red sores all around his mouth and we've had to get a cream from the doctor to soothe the skin afterwards. This has been going on since he was a toddler. He's three now. I don't want him to be using the creams and often licking them off anyway. And I'd like to stop the habit altogether. He seems to do it without realising it. And it's not only when he's upset or frustrated. He does it all the time. Well, that's, in, that's in capital letters in this letter. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we try drawing his attention to it and distract him with something. But usually he can do the something else and continue to lick his lips. He's never, uh, he's never had nor wanted a soother or a blankie. Oh, I mean, it's tricky because, you know, it's sounding like with what you're talking about, you know, the skin, the corners of Mm, the lips and that you've needed cream, that that's teetering into what might be a lip licking dermatitis. And there's lots of reasons for that, you know, some and it happens not just in children, by the way, adults can develop this as well. It can be a symptom of anxiety. It can be something that simply is um, indicative of dehydration. Um, It can also be shown like that maybe someone has had really sore lips and developed this habit as a result of that. But in young children, particularly this toddler age, it's incredibly common without any other reason. It's just it's something they do. So we do see it happen a lot in young children. So there are practical things. And given you've been to the doctor and you've gotten a cream, I'm quite sure that you've heard this. I'm just going to repeat it. Give him a chapstick. Or I would say apply because he's only three. I think they like having one themselves, but it tends to go as much on their nose as their mouth and their chin and everywhere else. So you're also going to help out by applying layers, plural, of Vaseline regularly, not just when you see him licking, but regularly during the day to provide a barrier. I would also say um, be very conscious of picking a lip balm that is, you know, flavor free or just very neutral, because if it's not that pleasant tasting or smelling, he's less likely to keep licking it. Now, I'm not saying go and get something that's nasty to taste something very neutral Um, lots of water 
So however much water he's drinking, even more water to ensure that the lips are not actually dry and that this isn't a response to that, because of course, the licking will have the effect of further drying them. I'd also say that you know, identify any patterns or triggers. I know because it's in capitals, it's all the time. <laughs> but, you know, do you notice it's particularly pronounced at key, you know, parts of the day or anyone else listening who might have a child similar? Just always pay attention to is it a sign of tiredness or hunger or thirst or feeling unwell or, you know, concentrating some kids, some adults, you know, rub their tongue around their lips when they're concentrating or pop their tongue out when they're writing. You see a lot of small children do that when they're learning to write. So just identify patterns because that's going to give you an empowered sense of, OK, I can predict it's more likely to happen now. I need to be mindful of it. And I would get him to play. I'm, I'm going to say tongue games, but I know how that sounds. But you know what I mean? <laughs> that play games that involve the mouth, which would be everything from pop cheeks um, coming into his face and doing musical faces like beep honk, his nose beeps, his lips make a, a, a honk noise, his ears quack, his other ear tweets, anything like that, just playing in a very playful way. The pop cheeks is really good because when we pop our cheeks, I'm actually doing it now, even though nobody can see me. But when you do pop cheeks, you fill your cheeks and then you pop it out. It releases any tension that might be held in your jaw by forcing that release there. And then you could also pretend to be frogs and see, can you stretch your tongue out as far as you can? But the thing is, you can't touch your lips. You have to stretch it out as far, do circles side to side, but don't touch your lips. Oh, beep, we touched our lips. Try again. And you just be playful with that. And I think that um, when you say, you know, he can do it no matter what else he's doing, get him singing and chatting because it's very hard to lick your lips while you're singing. So if you just get him sing, when you see him doing it, instead of getting into that, stop it, don't do that, no. Mm get into instead go hey let's have a song and a dance or tell me a story let's read a book let's do it together get his mouth moving in other ways um also maybe give him something that he could chew or something he could crunch in those moments because it will just keep his mouth you know that oral stimulation is very regulating when you have that emotional dysregulation if there is any emotional underlying cause to this i just find that's really really effective but a lot of singing and chatting with this little guy and it should run its course it's very hard though sean because you know they do break out in sores and rashes yeah and it's really painful for them but also it can be very frustrating as a parent who's like i keep treating this it keeps getting worse nothing's working also try a little bit of ice around it and just soothing it with ice as well because if it's itchy and sore that's going to drive a compulsion to keep licking it. It's one mm. of those kind of, you know, circles that goes around. I lick it, it's sore, it's sore, I lick it. So if you do a little bit of uh, just an ice cube all around his mouth as well and see does that break the habit, even just momentarily to let the skin heal. Right. Uh, next question is one I think some uh, other parents might relate to. I feel like my kids are never happy. I have four children and ranging from 13 to three and we have a comfortable life in typical suburbia. However, it feels like there is never a moment when one of them isn't upset about something, fighting with a sibling, refusing to eat dinner, having a standoff when we're trying to leave the house. When we're out of the house, I feel on edge all the time that one of them will kick off and everyone will be judging us as a family. I know there isn't a perfect family, but I really feel like our family has lost its course. When I mention it to my husband, he says this is reality. And as long as they're healthy and happy overall, what harm if the house is chaotic? But for me, it feels like we failed as parents in either giving them too much attention for all the wrong things or that they don't feel supported and loved as individuals. Do other parents feel like this? 
Yep. Next question. Uh, yeah, sorry, I, Joanne, I suppose you should say something too. <laughs> yes, parents do. We question, we berate ourselves. Am I doing enough? What's enough on a day-to-day basis? But you know, there's something, Sean, in that question. I feel like my kids are never happy. That brings up a question for me. Are you happy? Yeah. You know, because this letter just reads like you're so deflated and frustrated and feeling like, God, I give and give and give and I'm not getting anything back. And it is so hard as parents because we give so much and we try to meet every need in our children and even anticipate their needs. So they never even knew they had them because we've already met that need before they experienced it. And to not feel any or enough appreciation in return can be very disheartening. And of course, our kids don't owe us appreciation. They don't. I know it would be really nice to get it, but they don't owe it to us. And when you're looking at this situation that you feel on edge, that there's something about that. What do you mean when they kick off? Like, I, again, I know what kicking off means to me, but it might mean something else to you. Are they mm. absolutely getting each other in headlocks or what's going on? Because when you say everyone will be judging you, absolutely will not. Everybody who looks at you when your kids are kicking off are just glad it's not them. That's all that's happening. Everyone's going, been there, I see you. Yeah. So really the amount of people who might be judging you, well, they're few and far between and they have very little else to do with their time if they've time to do that because every parent has been there. So I'm looking at this in terms of you think you're giving them too much attention, but for the wrong things. And I'm wondering what that means because we can look, you know, what can look like attention seeking behavior in children, in adults as well, but in children in particular is often connection seeking. And, you know, I'm going to suggest without inference that when you say the wrong things, you mean stuff. I'm also going to say something about stuff to try a no stuff summer, that this isn't going to be a summer of buying stuff and, you know, going expensive places and expensive days out. But it's going to be investing in presence with a C over presence with a T um, and lots and lots of play. Because what do you do for fun together as a family so that it doesn't become this functional piece of, you know, need, meet, need, need, meet, need, because you're just not enjoying the relationship. And if you're not enjoying the relationship, nobody is. So I would get playing lots of fun family games. I mean, you've got quite the age spread there, 13 down to three, tricky enough to find something that everyone can do. I do a whole kind of, you know, because gratitude is coming up for me in this. There might be a little game that you can do as a family where you get a ball of wool. And as the parent, you start it. So you do a little twist of the wool around your finger and you say, you identify somebody in the family, making sure everybody gets named in this at, at, by everyone in, in order. That something I appreciate about you, not about how you look or something you did, but just I really appreciate that you, you know, put away the shopping without me asking or put your laundry in the basket today. I really appreciate appreciate that. And you toss the wool to that person while it's wrapped around your finger. They catch it. They wrap a piece around their finger. They show appreciation. And you basically toss the ball of wool back and forth and you make this gratitude web as a family. And I think it can be a nice thing to do. I think you could also do a lot of balloon relays, balloon games, balloon toss, passing them on a blanket. There's no end of activities like that that you could do as a family. And I think lots of fun and play is what you guys need. Get back to the very basics and rediscover the joy and shared joy um, that is in your family, not worrying about what the house looks like or what anyone else is thinking or saying, or also be aware of when you look and think people are judging you. Might it be you who's judging yourself and your family and you're projecting Mm. that outwards onto strangers who may not be noticing you at all, but just to reflect inwards about 
what is feeling so frustrating right now and how will you know when things have gotten better? Is it a measure of there will be, you know, less tears, more laughter in our family Then go in pursuit of laughter? Lots of play. It's interesting, though, that her when she says it to her husband, he says this is reality as long as they're healthy and happy overall. So he doesn't seem to perceive uh, a problem there. I I know, but there there is a problem because his partner is telling him that there is a problem. So, you know, yes, once everybody's healthy and happy, but I guess the person who wrote this letter isn't really happy. No, no, absolutely not. But I guess I wonder, and this may be wrong about this, but it happens to parents a lot, but particularly mothers, I think, that they feel that pressure more intently where, you know, you keep bumping into other mothers who tell you, well, my little Jane, she eats raw broccoli while playing the piano and learning German simultaneously, you know, and (laughs) yours is covered in snot and only only tomato ketchup. Absolutely. And social media is there as a constant Ah. barometer, isn't it? You know, the comparison pressure that we all put ourselves under going, gosh, the family are all dressed in white T-shirts. How does that work out? (laughs) You know, <laughs> little things that we'll bash ourselves over, but they're usually the stick that we use because actually underneath the surface, we're simmering in a state of dissatisfaction or frustration anyway. And I'd really encourage this parent to get some time away from the family for yourself. I don't mean pack the bags and go. Yeah. I certainly don't mean that, just to be clear. But, you know, to make sure that you've got something in your week that is about you and for you and not about them or giving to them. Yeah, indeed. Joanna, uh, font of wisdom as ever. Thanks a million uh, as as ever. Joanna Fortune there. We are going to take a break. Uh, uh, you are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, after that, we'll be talking about uh, two of Edinburgh's most notorious serial killers who came from Ireland. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.